chapter 10. Last time we looked at Daniel's famous prophecy of 70 weeks. Now, if you missed that, I would encourage you to get the CD or listen online. Now, let me give you an incentive for doing it if you missed it. Because if you understand Daniel 9 and the prophecy of 70 weeks, are you ready? You'll have no problem understanding the rest of Bible prophecy. That's how key Daniel 9 is. If you understand Daniel 9 and the prophecy of 70 weeks, it's the key to unlocking the rest of Bible prophecy, including the book of Revelation. Now, if you weren't here, if I was sitting out there and I missed that, man, I would make a beeline to hear that message tonight, either on, online or back there getting the CD, because how many of you want to understand the prophecy of the Word of God? But that's how key Daniel 9 is. Now, next we come to chapter 10, and I've just called this uh, tonight the glorious man, because Daniel's going to have a vision. He has a, a vision of a glorious, angelic being. And as with the beginning of chapter 9, Daniel gives us the time in which this vision took place. Look what he says in verse 1 of chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, that Cyrus is very important, and I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was called in the Babylonian kingdom, they named him Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar. And the message was true, but the appointed time, says Daniel, was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. So the message was true. Let's just notice. Now, let me just say something real quickly about Cyrus. We know that this vision of Daniel's that we're about to read about occurred after Cyrus's decree that the Jews could leave captivity and return to Jerusalem to rebuild. The way we know that is because Ezra 1 and verse 1 tells us that that decree went out in the first year of Cyrus. So in Cyrus's first year, God moved on him. He didn't know it was God, but God moved on him. Instead of released the Jewish people to go back to their homeland after 70 years of bondage. That happened in the first year. All right, in the third year, two years later, Daniel has this dream, has this vision. Now, Daniel testifies regarding this vision that first, it is true. Boy, I love truth. I love truth. What about you? Do you love the truth? Aren't you sick of people lying? Aren't you sick of lying in Washington? Just people just look you right in the eyeball and just lie to you like you're stupid. Now, I'm not getting political on you. I'm only giving it as an example. But, but it's amazing to me that they can look into the, the eye of a television camera that is going to the whole nation and just tell a bald face lie eh, and go home and go to sleep. I'd be dying a thousand deaths that I was going to be found out. Anyway, he says, when God speaks, it's always true. It's always true. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 4, let God be true and every man a liar. So God always tells the truth. Can we say that together? God always tells the truth. I mean, if he tells you something, it's true. 
He cannot tell a lie. And then he's told, that is Daniel, that the appointed time for the vision's fulfillment is long. Now, this phrase, the appointed time, is way better translated, quote, times of war and great hardship. The King James translators translated this, the appointed time, but a better translation for us today would be to understand that he's talking about war and hardship that is coming. Let me give you a couple of other translations. The New American Standard Bible, a really great translation, puts this verse this way. The message was true and one of great conflict. So there you have it. Now, the the New Living Translation, another really good recent translation, puts it, quote, he understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future, times of war and great hardship. So there you have it. What Daniel is receiving in chapter 10 is, is letting him know that his people are in for some real trouble down the tunnel of time, in the future, times of war and great hardship. Amen. Or at least, oh me. Now, Daniel is receiving a revelation concerning great wars and conflicts that we're going to learn more about in chapters 11 and 12. Uh, The Holy Spirit is going to expand on this to Daniel in the last two chapters of the book. But the timing here is important because Daniel, who was obviously concerned about the exiles, who had been released how long before he had this dream? Two years. So he's concerned about the exiles because he's probably heard that work on the temple that they went back to rebuild has been halted. And this has probably really bothered him. Now, if you've read the book of Nehemiah. You know all about two characters named Sam Ballot and Tobiah. The book of Nehemiah is all about the rebuilding of the wall, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and uh, that, that initial project. Now, Sam Ballot and Tobiah were sworn enemies of the Jewish people, and they did everything they could to stop the rebuilding of the wall and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And we read in the book of Nehemiah that they actually succeeded in it coming to a halt for a season. Now, this may explain why Daniel in chapter 10 is mourning as revealed in verses 2 and 3. So let's read those verses. He says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So Daniel here is fasting. He's seeking God over his people and his homeland, asking for an answer or a revelation to give him understanding of what was happening. Now, this is what I like about Daniel. If things around him are happening that he did not understand, he went to God to get understanding. And you know what? God's always got something to say if we're listening. God will speak if you'll listen. If you'll listen. Have you ever noticed how hard it is just to get yourself quiet long enough to even think a coherent thought? We're in such a busy culture. But this Daniel, when something bugged him, perplexed him, vexed him, he went straight to God 
And he set his face to seek God until he got an answer, until he got a revelation, which is exactly what happened. Notice that when we humble ourselves before God, as Daniel did, it brings results. Now, if there's one thing Daniel knew how to do better than most, it was pray and seek God until he got an answer. You see him doing it all through the Bible. And what did we learn in earlier chapters? He had a habit. We call it a holy habit. What was that holy habit? He prayed how many times a day? Three. Three times a day, the man stopped whatever he was doing and prayed and worshiped God. No wonder God was talking to him. And so he prayed and fasted for 21 days. And then an incredible vision occurred. Everybody say he got a breakthrough. You know, you pray and you pray and you pray. We've got an old illustration that I've shared a couple of times, but it's always worth resharing. In the olden days, when they were first setting up pulling electricity to different towns that had always been, uh, always consisted on, of candlelight, that always been, had candlelight for their light. They had candles they had, and, or lanterns. There was no electricity. But electricity was discovered, and they started pulling electricity to different towns and lighting those towns up with electricity instead of candle power. They would do this. They would dig a hole, they would set a pole, and they would string more wire. And then they would set, dig another hole, set another pole, string more wire. And they would blaze their way through incredibly dense forests and wilderness to get electricity to the next town. And they would do this over and over, dig a hole, set a pole, string a wire, dig a hole, set a pole, string a wire. But one day, they finally reached the town dug the last hole, set the last pole, strung the last wire, and hit the switch, and the town lit up. That's the way prayer works. You dig a hole. You get up every day, whether you're seeing the answer or not, and you dig a hole. You pray. And you set a pole. I prayed today. You string that wire. And then the next day, you dig another hole. And you set another pole. And one day, your prayer connects. And the answer comes, and your life is lit up. All right? This is Daniel. Look, here he's praying 21 days every day, digging a hole, setting a pole, stringing a wire, prayer wire, wick wire. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But anyway, so uh, just keep that in mind that just because it doesn't come the first day doesn't mean, and we're going to see that in just a moment. So he prays for 21 days. Now, look what happened when when he finally dug that last hole, set that last pole, prayed for the last time. Here comes the vision, verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of euphaz. Now look at verse 6, how he describes him. His body was like beryl. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like torches of fire. His arms and feet like burnished bronze in color. And the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. This was not a normal man. Now this glorious being, let me, let me talk to you about this being for a moment. 
And I'm going to tell you who I don't think it was, because this is obviously a supernatural being. And do you know that right now, if we had spiritual eyes to see what God sees, there's supernatural beings right now around this church. Some of you have had an angel posted by you at all times because of the way you drive. (laughs) And sometimes even that angel can't keep up with you. But watch, seriously, if we could have eyes to see, we would see warfare happening, we would see evil spirits, and we would see angelic beings that are glorious to behold, just like this one. And, and they would be, around, I really believe, around this building, anywhere Jesus is high and lifted up. The, the psalmist said in Psalms 91, he gives his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. I think one of the great shocks of heaven is going to be when God shows us how many times we were saved by the intervention of an angelic being, protected. Some of you ought to be dead and you know it. You wonder how you're not dead. There was some supernatural intervention in your life. God kept you alive. Now, Let me tell you who I don't think it was. This glorious being could not have been Jesus because in verse 13, this being tells Daniel that he had been restrained by the prince of Persia who was a demonic spirit. We're going to look at more in a moment. My Jesus was never hindered by demons. I mean, they never hindered him. He said, come out, they came out, and they begged him for mercy. So I don't believe this was Jesus, and I don't believe that it it was the, well, I know it wasn't the archangel Michael because Gabriel, this angel refers to Michael in verse 13. So it couldn't have been Michael. I believe it's highly possible, though it doesn't name him, that it was Gabriel who has already appeared to Daniel twice before, once in chapter 8, verse 16, and again in chapter 9, verse 21. So Gabriel is, is appearing to Daniel twice already, and I personally believe this was probably thrice, three times. And you know, this angel Gabriel plays a huge role in some of the Bible's key events. In the New Testament, he appears. It was Gabriel who appeared to John the Baptist's daddy, the high priest, Zacharias, and told him about John the Baptist. That was Gabriel. And then Gabriel had the highest of honors to appear to the young teenager, Mary, and tell her there was going to be an immaculate conception. That was Gabriel. Gabriel is, and that's four appearances that I know of in the Bible, twice to Daniel, once to Zacharias, and once to Mary. So, and all the time, it, with key events and key assignments that had to do with the last days or something super special, like the birth of the Christ child. So if I were to guess, I'm going to go with Gabriel is the one who appeared here. Now next, Daniel describes the effect that this angelic visitation had on the men who were with him, and I love this. Verse 7, look what happened. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me, they didn't see the vision, but even so a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. They ran, and they didn't know why they were running. Something supernatural was there. I got to think of Paul. 
when he was knocked down on the road to Damascus by that brilliant light, it says that he heard a voice, but the men that were with him didn't hear it, and they didn't see the light, but they were terrified. See, when heaven shows up, you hit the ground. I mean, when heaven shows up, you are on your face. If you should ever be visited by an angel, you will not be sitting down and having a cup of coffee and talking about the weather. It will not be casual. It'll be humbling. It'll be an awesome experience. It will elicit a level of fear and certainly awe. It'll be awesome. These men didn't see what Daniel did, but the spiritual presence alone of this mighty angel brought terror to them. I really personally believe God wanted them to get out of there so he could talk to his man. Now, next Daniel says in verse 8, Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision. And here's what it did to Daniel. No strength remained in me. My vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Folks, he was slain. He was knocked down. He went into a trance-like sleep at the presence of this mighty being. We serve a mighty God. And, you know, these angels only serve our Lord Jesus Christ. They do whatever he says. And they are mighty beings. You know what? For every devil coming against you, there's two angels that did not fall. So the devil's got a third of the angelic beings. We have two-thirds. The devil has only himself. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. We are clearly the winners and not the losers. <laughs> Amen? So here's Daniel in this, this, this uh, prostrate position his face to the ground in a deep sleep, and the angel speaks to him in verse 10. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. I almost want to do a show and tell. If we could all just stand up for a minute and just kind of shake a little bit. That's what he was experiencing. A literal translation. He calls him greatly beloved. And a literal translation from the Hebrew would read, man of preciousness. Man of preciousness, Daniel. Daniel was precious in God's sight. And, And what a tremendous compliment. Don't you want God saying about you, man of preciousness or woman of preciousness. How many of you would love that? Well, you've already got it. You think if he said that to Daniel, he doesn't say it to you, his own blood-bought children? He has already looked at you and said, man of preciousness, woman of preciousness. You're precious in God's sight. Why was Daniel precious in God's sight? Why did he call him man of preciousness? Because Daniel was a man of faith and a man of good works. He devoted himself entirely to doing God's will and pleasing God. And, you know, we've often heard the statement, well, you're not saved by works, but you're saved by grace. And that's completely true. But sometimes I, as a pastor, get concerned that we, we almost downplay works. Oh, well, you know, you're not saved by works, so works aren't important. But you know what? 
Works are very important. Works don't save you, but works testify to your having been saved. Amen? I mean, you, you can do good works all, you know, if God lets you live to be 300, none of it would save you. But the Bible says God saved you so that you would be involved in good works. And Paul, over and over and again, I, when you read the Pauline letters, Paul over and over again tells the Christians in the churches, he says, be zealous for good works. Always be zealous for good works. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always involved in what God is doing. So you're not supposed to sit there on your blessed assurance and do nothing until you go to heaven one day. Right? Now, what this mighty angel says next is one of the most graphic and instructive glimpses into spiritual warfare in the entire Bible. It is equaled only by Ephesians 6. And in some ways, it's more graphic than Ephesians 6. Look what he says in verse 12. This angel now tells Daniel something. He says, then he said to me, don't fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. Now, folks, this is telling us something important. When we pray, we are immediately heard. Immediately. God hears it immediately when we pray in faith. But look what happened next. Look what this angel tells Daniel. Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. How long was Daniel fasting? 21 days. How long did he keep on digging holes and setting poles and stringing wire? 21 days. So look, the whole time he's persevering in prayer, there's a battle going on in heaven. Wow. That ought to give you holy ghost bumps on top of your holy ghost bumps. Okay? Look what he says. And behold, Michael, here's the archangel Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now catch this. Daniel was told on the very first day of his prayer and fasting, the angel was released with the answer. Daniel says, God, I want to understand what's going on with the people. Why the work has stopped in Jerusalem? Tell me. And God sent, it, sent an angel, an archangel, Gabriel, with the answer. First day. But on his way to Daniel. And we read earlier, he flew swiftly to Daniel when he appeared to him once. So this angel is flying swiftly to Daniel again. And he's suddenly hindered by a demonic spirit identified as the prince of the kingdom of Persia who intercepted him and a battle ensued and Daniel knew nothing of it. He's just praying and, and fasting and believing God to answer him, he doesn't know that his prayers are sustaining a warfare that when it's finally over is going to give him a revelation that is pertinent to us today. We, we are ignorant of most things going on in the spiritual arena. Even Paul said we see through a glass darkly. We don't see face to face. God lets us have glimpses here and there. But most of the time, we're just moving in faith, like Daniel. He had no idea what was going on. 
Now, the prince of Persia is apparently a satanic agent assigned to work with Persia in fighting against the will of God. I really do believe that cities have demon spirits placed over them. I do. I believe this is one of the, 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 uh, one of the warfares that take place. Anytime you establish a work for God in a city, you are going to be encountering the strongholds that Satan has placed over that city. And it's different city. Listen, I have flown into many places in the world. And I can tell you, when you start <clears throat> to land, for instance, in Africa, you feel a spiritual oppression. I'll never forget landing in Haiti. And just the, the spiritual oppression just sat on you like a fog. And you get out of the plane, you walk into the airport, and there on the walls of the airport are these giant murals, these paintings of witch doctors holding satanic rites, doing witchcraft right there on the wall. And you feel it. And when you go there to minister, you've got to break through these things. And this is what was happening with Daniel. He said, I want an answer about my people. I want to know what's going on. But there was a satanic prince over Persia. And Gabriel encountered him in the second heaven where warfare happens. You do know there's three heavens. Paul said, I was caught up to the third heaven. And I saw and heard things I can never repeat on earth. What's the third heaven? It's where God's will is done perfectly. It's where his will is done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is, we could add, in the third heaven. The second heaven is where, there is where the spiritual warfare takes place. The first heaven is the atmosphere that we're in right now. It's the earthly atmosphere. But there are three levels, three stages of what we could call heaven, that fourth dimension. And it's in the second heaven where warfare happens and where this warfare happened and where this prince of Persia, this demonic spirit, headed Gabriel off, and they fought while Daniel was praying. We would be foolish to think that Satan is not organized in his fight against us. Let me tell you about the devil. He's a strategist with a plan. Now, his plan is already ruined because Christ died for us, and rose from the dead. And, and, and because of that, he's ultimately foiled and ruined. But in the meantime, he works overtime to destroy souls and to hinder the work of God through the saints of God, and that means you. So anytime you set your face to serve God, to witness, to pray, to, to be faithful to church, to read the Bible through in a year, the phone will ring, Somebody will knock on the door, all hell will break loose in your house, and the devil will do everything to keep you out of the word of God and out of the place of prayer. Anything that furthers the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, he's going to come against it and fight it and seek to wear you down and wear you out and discourage you and frustrate you where you quit and give And that's where some of you are tonight. You have given up. You've been wondering, should I just quit this church stuff and quit this prayer stuff because <clears throat> it just seems to me like everything's gone the other way and nothing's going my way and 
I don't understand what God's doing in my life and how come I can't this and that and how come this door hadn't opened or that door shut and you're going through all kinds of things. And we've got to remember that there is a warfare going on. And you may feel insignificant, but you've got the blood of the lamb on you. And you've got the Holy Ghost of the living God inside of you. And you're a called, chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I'm about to preach. Listen, a called out people. Why? That you would show forth the praises of him. Say with me, show forth his praises. Show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why is God's hand on you? That you would show forth his praises in a dark and wicked world. Daniel is no different. Peter warned us, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking to eat somebody alive. And he's not worried about the loss. He's got them. He's out for you. One of my favorite cards um, that I've sent to many preachers, it shows two deer standing in the forest. They're standing on two legs, and they're just talking to each other. And one of them says to the other, who has a target right here uh, with a bullseye, and he says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. I've sent that to preachers <laughs> because when you give your heart to the Lord, you've got a target right there. When you give yourself to the work of the Lord, and we've got to remember that it's not people, not primarily. Although God could wipe out all the forces of hell with a single th- thought, he doesn't, and that I must leave to the mysterious movings of God. He allows demons just like he allows men to have certain limited powers and free will. I don't know why. If I was God, I'd wrap this whole thing up tonight and go to heaven. (laughs) Wouldn't you? I mean, I'm sick of the suffering and the pain, and I'd wrap the whole thing up. Just right now, I'd say, hadn't this been real? I'd wrap it up right now. If God gave me the power right now, I'd wrap it up. But I'm not God. We see that Michael finally comes to the aid of this angel, Michael the archangel, and together they fight the demonic prince of Persia. And the angel Michael is also mentioned in verse 21 and later in chapter 12, verse 1, we're going to read about in two weeks. Here he's called a chief prince. He's an archangel. And that's what Jude calls him in Jude 9, an archangel. He also makes an appearance in Revelations 12, verse 7, And angels are profoundly involved in last day events. Now, passages like these reveal that there is a hierarchy of angels in which Michael and Gabriel occupy the highest position. There are only three archangels I know anything about. Chief angels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer before he fell. Satan had been an archangel. Lucifer. The light bearer is what he was called. And he was filled with pride, and you know the story. So there were only three. But once again, there's one against our two. Okay? Now let me just ask you, and let's ask ourselves here tonight, why was this angelic warfare occurring like this? Why? This was intense. 
Here's the short answer. Satan was interested because God was interested. Because it mattered to God, it mattered enough to Satan to attack it. Satan constantly seeks to thwart God's plans at every turn. Try pastoring a church someday. Get get in the underbelly of the church. Just see how Satan attacks church. You would be amazed. Even today, Satan is seeking to destroy the church on a level that I've never seen, and I've been around a while. He does it through the sinful culture, and with the sinful culture, he attacks the church from without. There's attack coming from out, in, and from within. He attacks from without with the sinful culture and the false doctrines of the world's religions. He attacks from within by raising up false teachers from within our own ranks who twist the word of God to their own destruction, who deny the miracles and prophecies of the Bible, and who seek to change and twist the eternal principles found in God's word. And right now, the local church, I can speak for the West, is loaded with false teachers. They're everywhere. I would name names, but I'll never do that. But if you have any discernment at all, you have to know this is true. I mean, they're everywhere, twisting the word. And the sad thing is the saints are so ignorant of much of the Bible, they don't know when they're hearing false teaching. That's why we teach the Bible here. I want you to know the Bible. I want you to be biblically literate, not Bible illiterate. I want you to, that's why we're going to go through it in a year. I want you to know Genesis to Revelation. I want you to understand the warp and wolf of Scripture. I want you to understand the grand themes and the grand doctrines. I want you to get it. Because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And the more you know of the Word, the more unlikely you are to be deceived. And the book of Daniel reveals that this spiritual battle is not new. As we see here, it was going full bore way back in the days of Daniel, 500 years before Christ. And now 2,500 years later, it continues. Our job and our calling, folks, is to submit to God, resist the devil, get full of the Spirit, full of the Word, and go out and speak the truth in love to a dying culture. That's our call. And we're going to do it with everything that lies within us. We're going to do it. Another thing these verses make very clear is there is an unseen spiritual war going on related to events occurring in this world. Have you ever seen America under such attack in your life? Those of you that have been around a while, have you ever seen America under such spiritual attack, such attack, such corruption, such hatred and disdain for God and his word? Have you ever seen it? I've never seen it like this. I believe it's going to turn. Amen. I really do. But this warfare is going on behind a curtain that is obscured from our sight. The Bible occasionally pulls the curtain back a little bit, like here in Daniel 10, or if you go to Ephesians 6, you see it pull back a little bit there, and we see that, wow, what we can't see, hear, taste, touch, or smell, that fourth dimension, that spiritual world, there is a warfare going on. Now, verse 14, Daniel continues, and this angel says, Now I have come, Daniel, to make you understand what will happen to your people. Now, here's the reason that he came and appeared in chapter 10. 
I'm going to make you, Daniel, understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. Do you realize with me that Daniel is receiving a vision that had to do with us? Because we're in the last days. In the latter days, the vision is many days in the future, way in the future. And so when are the latter days? Well, I, I really believe this refers to the time preceding the return of Christ when history is brought to a close. So that's what the vision was about. Now, finally, Daniel informs us of the effect this vision had on him, and I'm going to read through it. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. Suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? He said, Who am I to talk to you? Who am I that you talk to me? As for me, says Daniel, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Verse 18, then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. I want us to read that together because that's God's word to us today. So read verse 19 out loud with me, would you? O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. Everybody say God's word strengthened you. As soon as he spoke to him, Daniel got strengthened. And he said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Boy, I love that. Daniel is strengthened by the angel and for very good reason, because there is bad news ahead. He's already told him in chapter 10 that there's going to be great war and conflict regarding his people. So that's why he needed to be strengthened. His people are going to undergo serious trials, as we're going to see in the last two chapters. And then verse 20, the last couple of verses, then he said to me, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. The battle's not over until it's over. Amen? Amen. So Gabriel's going back just to fight again. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. He's talking about another spiritual battle there the demonic spirit over Greece. But I will tell you, verse 21, what is noted in the scripture of truth. Only Michael, the angel who guards your people Israel, will be there to help me. I just want to point out in closing here that the angel, Gabriel, calls your Bible the scripture of truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. If you have your Bible, can you, can you just hold it up? Hold it up with me. <clears throat> now, this Bible is a supernatural book. Just hold it up for a minute. That Bible is a supernatural book. It's the only book in the world that's not from the world. What I mean by that is holy men of God were moved by the Holy Ghost and wrote what heaven told them to write. It took 1,500 years and over 40 different authors 
they could not have gotten together and conspired to write it because they were 1,500 years apart. 40 different authors. Yet that book you hold in your hand agrees. It is in total unity. Book after book. It is a unified whole. And it's a book of revelation. It's a supernatural book. The angel said, the scripture of truth. You can walk on it, live by it, die by it, trust in it, step out on it. Amen? Give the Lord a hand of praise today. Let's stand up.